Charbonneau lining up for a 46-yard field goal try for Samford with 24.9 seconds to go in the half. A holder is uh, Jefferson Atkuk. There's the snap. They place it down. It's blocked. It's picked up by the Panthers and could be a touchdown. Rashad Haynes at the 30, at the 20, at the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Rashad Haynes. And he'll be penalized for unsportsmanlike conduct for diving over the goal line, but the touchdown will stand. Welcome to EIU Panthers Podcast, your weekly look at Eastern Illinois athletics with interviews with current and former athletes, coaches, and administrators. I'm your host, Rich Moser. We continue our 2020 EIU Athletic Hall of Fame series this week, talking with former EIU Athletic Director R.C. Johnson for episode 12 of EIU Panthers podcast. Johnson was the Athletic Director at EIU in the early 1980s, helping the program transition from the NCAA Division II to NCAA Division I ranks. Among the legendary coaches he hired here at EIU are Bob Spoo and Rick Samuels. Today, we talk with Johnson about his long career in athletic administration, including his special relationship with Coach John Calipari. First, we would like to thank this week's EIU Athletic Corporate Partners of the Week, the Days Inn of Charleston and Unique Properties. The Days Inn of Charleston is a proud sponsor of EIU Athletics, and the Days Inn of Charleston offers great rates on rooms located just minutes away from the Eastern Illinois campus. Unique Properties is the official sponsor of the EIU student section and offers great housing options for EIU students. To learn more, visit unique-properties.net online and stay unique. In EIU athletics news this week, the EIU swim team hosted its inner squad this past weekend with top performances by Scott House for the men and Sarah Lohman for the women. The Panthers softball team wrapped up its fall with an Athletes Unlimited style World Series. For the latest on EIU Athletics news, visit us online at eiupanthers.com or be sure to follow us on Twitter at EIU underscore Panthers. Also, to listen to previous episodes of EIU Panthers podcast, be sure to follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We're available currently on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and recently added to iHeartRadio podcasts. Now to this week's episode with 2020 EIU Athletics Hall of Fame inductee, R.C. Johnson. And welcome to another edition of EIU Panthers podcast. We're on our Hall of Fame series here, and we're joined by one of our twenty thousand or twenty twenty inductees, former EIU athletic director RC Johnson. And RC, I appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be with you, and and uh, honored that you uh, that you invited me. It's it's a real treat for me. Well, we talked about, and I, you're, you'll be the second of the Hall of Fame inductees I've done, and I and I kind of joked Vincent Webb, who's going in the class with you as well. I've joked with him, and we, we just released his this this past week. I said, you got the best call that you could probably get as a, as a Hall of Famer from the athletic director, and I said, and then you get the um, the doomsday scenario call for me a, a, a few weeks ago <laughs> to tell you that hey hey we're not we're not going to have this happen. But we'll talk about the positive. <laughs> We'll talk about the positive things. I know you've made these calls as a former athletic director and administrator, but what was it like to be on the receiving end of getting that Hall of Fame call from Tom? Well, it was pretty exciting, to be honest with you, because that's where I got my start. Got unbelievable memories, uh, positive times, fun times. Uh, I met a lot of nice people. Uh, I'm from Illinois originally, and uh, it was kind of nice going back to be an athletic director, that was my first first ever athletic director position, and uh, to get the call for the school where you started was always a treat. Uh, 
I've, I've stayed in touch. Sean Payton was there when I was, he was our quarterback and we, we stay in touch quite a bit. And, and, uh, I, I was telling him about it and it was, in fact, I always tell Sean, didn't you go to that school where Tony Romo was the best quarterback <laughs> ever? And, <laughs> and he, he of course has a comment on that, but it was, it was really, really an honor and, and uh, a real treat. My wife and I were thrilled. Now you, you talk about that was your, your first, I guess, job in the big chair as, as they call it in athletics, but you had been an administrator before that, but you, you got into athletics like a lot of people did. Um, you know, I, I want to say back in the, the errors have changed a little bit, but back then you started in, in coaching, I guess, what kind of, right. Uh, maybe some of your experiences, what you remember from coaching and then, you know, what, what precipitated the move from coaching to administration? Well, you're right. I did. I was, uh, I was, uh, my father was a football coach at, uh, at, uh, Ottawa, Illinois school up, uh, high school up North. Uh, I went to school at the university of Iowa to play football and, uh, I got dinged up pretty good and really had a knee torn up. And they asked me to, at that time, the freshmen couldn't play varsity football. You had your own freshmen. We had nine weeks of practice, no games. And they asked me to be one of the freshman coaches uh, to fulfill my scholarship, to keep me on scholarship. And that's when I got hooked. And then from there, that was in the early 60s. I mean, we're going way back. And I really enjoyed it. I didn't think I, I wanted to be a football coach, but I really enjoyed doing that. And I continued coaching football for several years. And then I got a, I was coaching up in Minnesota and I got a call from a gentleman named Stan Sheriff at Northern Iowa. He wanted me to come back to uh, Cedar Falls, Waterloo, Iowa, to be an associate athletic director, an assistant football coach, uh, and do some teaching. And I think, Richard, it was about uh, $5,500. And I was trying to decide what I was going to do with all that money. <laughs> and uh, that was, uh, and then he said, there's a program called Title IX coming into, into place, and I want you to help me with that. And as it turned out, Stan was the head football coach and athletic director. And he said, you're going to be the associate AD and in charge of everything else and also get this Title IX program started. And so I did that. And then the uh, and I enjoyed it. Uh, it was a little hard, a little awkward. As you look back on it, you wonder how you did all those things, but you do what you do. And then I got the opportunity to interview at Eastern Illinois. And uh, I went through the interview process. In fact, in those days, uh, we were going to, I flew from Waterloo to, to O'Hare. And I was supposed to take a flight from O'Hare into Charleston, Mattoon yep. Airport. And it was canceled. And uh, they told me to rent a car and drive down, which I did, and had my interview. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Eastern was having a lot of success in football and basketball, both at the time. Uh, Don Eddy was the basketball coach and uh, Daryl Mudra was the football coach. And I went down and uh, I really enjoyed it and got the job and went there 
and uh, enjoyed the the time there. I was I was 38 years old. Uh, thought I was I was uh, not sure what I was really doing. First day on the job, I remember sitting in the office thinking, "All right, now what am I supposed to do?" And it wasn't long though before I started having people come in and and as you know, there's plenty to do. Yep. And uh, the the coaches I've have never changed over the years. Uh, they never have enough. They always have something they need, and their stuff is more important than the next person's. And uh, I did it. Uh, went on for 33 years as an athletic director, and some things never changed. God bless the coaches. I've always said they're just grown-up kids is all they are, <laughs> and they need you need to babysit them 24-7. So that's how I got started. Okay. Interesting there. I didn't um, – I looked at the timeline there coming into northern Iowa, and that um, you started there on the, on the AD position about 1974, and Title IX, of course, is the implementation and uh, really women's sports in, into college athletics, and – Northern Iowa has gone on and where you started had some great success in, in women's sports. What was, I guess, what was that integration? And I don't even know if that's the right word, but um, integration of adding women's athletics. And I, and I would say really um, not only into an athletic department, but from a facility standpoint, a lot of those buildings weren't built with locker rooms and bathrooms and showers and those types of things to accommodate both sexes. And 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 we no one really knew, we knew it it had passed, but no one really understood it, and no one really knew what was going on. Uh, I was I was in charge of hiring a senior women's administrator, and uh, we did. <clears throat> we got uh, a young lady hired, and uh, then uh, s- silly things. We had no office for her. Uh, and you mentioned the locker rooms and I, I can recall the two of us taking a tour and trying to figure out what we were going to do. And then of course, practice facilities and uh, how we were going to do that and who was going to get it at what time. And a lot of things, it was just a first for everything. And, and, uh, we tried to be, we tried to be fair. And, uh, that was, that was hard because Quite honestly, we really weren't. It took us a long time to get things in gear so that we were treating the women with an equal uh, chart as we were with the men. And it was uh, it was quite an experience. And again, today it's kind of taken for granted. You don't think as much about it. But back then, it was so new. Uh, everybody just said, well, just you, equality is what you're looking for an opportunity. And that was, that was the direction. And you kind of went from there, as you know, you've got a whole basket full of duties. Uh, And as you, as you said to me, other duties as assigned down at the bottom of all of our, all of our (laughs) contracts. And, and one of mine was all of a sudden get, get title nine up to shape. And it was, it was interesting time. It was different, but it was interesting. No one ever told us, it was the right thing to do, but no, nobody ever told us how to fund it. And, uh, that's, that was always the big issue. 
Now, I, I, I ask you about that question for, for some interesting standpoint, but also then you come to Eastern Illinois and you, you kind of do a first here from an Eastern standpoint and the fact that, and I don't know if um, during your job interview or not, you were told that Eastern was looking at making the jump from Division Two to Division One, or if that was something that you kind of helped drive when you came in and, and took over here, I guess, kind of how did... How did that conversation come along? And uh, I'm, I'm curious as to how you were involved and, and maybe some of the thought process behind that decision. Because as you said, Eastern at the time had been a very successful Division II program. Right. And it was, it was, not, it was not mentioned during the interview. Uh, you know how that goes. Some of those things they don't bring up during, <laughs> during the interview. They, 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 they let you know after you get there. Yep. And uh, we had, I knew the athletic director, uh, of course, Stan Sheriff at Northern Iowa, and uh, Gil Peterson was a friend of mine. He was the athletic director at Western Illinois. And we had we had several meetings where it, we met in, in Chicago. I can remember we met at O'Hare. Uh, we were trying to figure out who was going to pay for the room in O'Hare because no, none of us had any money. But we start, decided that that was a move we needed to make. And uh, Dan Marvin was the president at Eastern. And uh, he was very uh, aggressive, very supportive of athletics, felt it was time. And uh, we, we then decided we needed to, to get everybody together and, and make the move or we'd be left behind. And uh, we jointly did it. Uh, Again, a lot of people weren't fully aware of what it meant, uh, what it was going to do for us. But we felt we felt it would help with uh, our alums. We felt it would help with our enrollment. We thought it would help with the media, and just it was just time. Uh, otherwise, the ship would sail and we'd be left behind. So we we decided to go ahead and make the move, and and uh, it worked out pretty well. Now, in that, and I, I talk about the the move from division two to division one. And there, there was some success at, at division one. There has been some success in division one. And I, I think you've been, you mentioned you did this for a, a long time. The landscape of even division one has changed since when Eastern made that move up, I guess, close to 40 years ago. Now, um, when you, you look at the calendar, 1981 right. to 2020 now, and, you know, people that have, have come through here, they finished third in, um, the college cup for, for men's soccer at the division one level um, football has some success getting deep into the playoffs. I guess how excited as an athletic director where you were in those early days of seeing that, you know, Hey, this decision paid off and we may be able to compete at division one. Yeah. You know, as you know, it's uh, the, for the, for the general fan, for everybody else, all they care about is, is the scoreboard. And what, how are you doing? And we did have a, we did have a lot of success, uh, in our sports and that kind of justified, uh, doing what we did. Uh, we did not know at the time, of course, that division one was going to split out like it has. And, uh, money was always an issue, but it wasn't, it wasn't so much at the forefront as it is today. Uh, we, we had a lot of student fee help. Uh, we had a lot of university help, 
it, it, we, uh, the TV, the TV market was pretty slim back in those days. There wasn't much big payout. Uh, we, we kind of compared ourselves to how we're going to do with what the big 10 does. And the only difference we felt at the time was attendance and ticket sales. Uh, we, we knew we had to really get the, uh, Panther club going and really spur that on because it was, uh, it became really obvious that we were underfunded in so many ways. And so we needed, we, we did the project called Brighton O'Brien where we raised money to get lights put in the stadium. And, and we had a lot of projects that we had to do externally as well with our, as you know, we had, uh, in those days, our enrollment was limited to 9,000 regardless. And so the student fee, we couldn't keep going back to the students. Yeah. And the university could only help so much. So we had to get external to get, get more money into the program. But we had big aspirations of, of moving on. Um, at Illinois, I know that Neil Stoner was the athletic director way back then. And, and he would, he had commented about, uh, how well that Eastern was doing. Uh, he also made the comment now, you know, you're, you're never going to get into the big 10. We'll, <laughs> we'll never, never let you come in. And we were, we felt like we were in competition with Northern and Southern and Illinois state and, and felt like if we could uh, get ahead of those guys in the, in the state, first of all, and Southern was, was they all had bigger enrollments than we did, but we, uh, and, and because of that, they had a little more funding. So that's why we started getting so externally involved in both Charleston and Mattoon. Now, I'm going to throw up during that time, you would have been the AD here for about eight years, 1980 to 88. We just briefly talked about kind of being a part of that transition from Division Two to Division One. As part of that, you also had to do coaching hires and a few of the coaches you hired, um, Rick Samuels for basketball. That's a name that, that a lot Correct. of no longtime coach here. Did, what was your relationship with in the in the and I'm making you think back here a while? But in terms of hiring Rick Samuels and a, a, a guy that I you know you're trying to sell him on. Hey, I think if I look if I looked at the record book correctly, I think you had hired him and he was the coach as we transitioned from Division Two to Division One. So that was. I'm sure a job you had to sell him on. Well, we did. And the, uh, at, at the, the facility was, uh, a little bit ahead of its time. Lance Jim, uh, Illinois, uh, that was a, that was a positive. Uh, Rick was a big family man, very important to him. Uh, we sold him on, on the Charleston community. What a great place to live. And then, of course, the state itself, uh, the amount of talent that was, was in the state and uh, how much uh, fun he could have, uh, how much enjoyment he could have. And we had the, the pieces in place. We just needed a coach to come in and, and really kind of put it together. And, and I don't remember how long Rick was there. He, he was quite a while. I know that. And he, had, he was really a class person, too. Uh, we had always, one of the things I've always used in my, my tenure was wherever I've been was uh, we wanted someone class, dignity, and style, someone that would really represent us well. And he, he was certainly that. 
and it, it worked out and and uh, the timing was right and as you know timing is everything and and uh, he's really uh, really jumped into the community and uh, was a class person all the way and it really helped now two football names I'll throw out at you um, Al Moldy you hired him as the coach here and he had success and moved on and then the coach that came after him and the one that you know most people at nowadays kind of make synonymous with EIU football is Bob Spoo. You, you hired him, I guess, kind of, kind of go through those two coaches. They, they, I never met Al Moldy. I worked with coach Spoo for, for a number of years, but I, I think they would both hit that, that category you talked about of both being family guys and class individuals. Yep, absolutely. I knew Al a little bit beforehand and uh, it was, a t- it was a hard act to follow. We had uh, tremendous success uh, with Mudra, and uh, that that was uh, that was a, in a way it was a positive, but in a way it made it a little bit harder because uh, coaches want to come in and take a program to the top, and we'd had so much success. Uh, but uh, the thing I I talked to Al about it, and he was not he did not back off one bit. He just felt like he could keep it going and make it even better. And, uh, he, uh, it was not hard to convince him to come. Uh, he, in fact, he had success and, and, uh, we had a hard time keeping him. And then finally he did leave us and we hated to have that happen, but he did. And, uh, in fact, that's when Sean Payton was our, was our quarterback. And ironically, I had, had Sean on, on, uh, my search committee representing <laughs> the team. And to this day, I remember Sean saying, well, just so we get somebody that likes to pass and throw the ball, we want to do that. And, uh, he hasn't changed much. He's, he's still doing that, but we, we really had a lot of success with Al. And, and, uh, then when he left, uh, I felt like we needed someone that, that, uh, offensively had had walked a mile in those shoes and Bob Spoo was certainly at at Purdue had so much success working with quarterbacks and what have you and uh, I'm a diehard Cubs fan and when when Bob came in the first thing he told me was he said now I'm a I'm a Cub fan I want you to know that (laughs) and uh, I said well that there's a there's a plus for you but he uh, he he sold us in part on the success he had had in the Chicago area as a coach and he could recruit there. And he was such a, such a gentleman. Uh, you know, I just, I just felt so comfortable with him and, uh, felt like he would fit right in and keep the, keep the uh, Panther train going down the tracks and keep doing what we had wanted to, wanted to do. And, and he had, I don't remember, how long he had been, he had been at Eastern he, quite a while. I know. I don't remember, you know, I, I keep following Eastern and I don't remember how long Bob was there, but he was there a long time and very successful. So those things worked out. And as you know, there is no surefire way of hiring a coach. No. You're, you're rolling the dice. You think you, you think you have a way of doing it. But any athletic director that tells you they know how exactly if a guy is going to be successful or a gal, they're they're not being honest with you because it's you hope 
you hope and you always have some criteria you go through, but until you, until the guy or gal is there, you never know for sure. Now I'm going to, after that, you, you had success at Eastern as the athletic director, eight years there. And, um, as, as happens in this business, there are opportunities that, that present themselves usually can be a little bit more lucrative. And as division one continued to expand, um, you had better opportunities for yourself to move on to Miami of Ohio and then uh, a year at Temple and then at Memphis. And I guess kind of the decision for you, I you can see the progression there if, if people know athletics, but what were some of the thoughts, I guess, when you had to make that first move to leave Eastern to go to Miami of Ohio? Well, it was, it was hard. And uh, I had had opportunities before Miami of Ohio and, uh, had turned them down uh felt just felt like we really uh enjoyed eastern enjoyed the community uh enjoyed the people we were it was very supportive but i think i uh, when miami came about uh and it was it, miami was known for the cradle of coaches and uh i had known shem beckler who was coaching at Michigan through various camps that I had been involved with and over a period of time. And Bo was at Michigan and he's a Miami alum. And he had called me and said that they were looking for an athletic director and he had recommended me. And, uh, I got a call to interview over there. And, uh, I really, I really was torn. The president at the time at Eastern was Stan Reeves. And uh, he made a counter offer to uh, my wife and I that was really attractive. Uh, but we just felt like we had had a good run at Eastern. And uh, it, part of it was financial, but part of it was, was uh, moving at that time to the Mid-American Conference. Felt like that would be kind of an exciting time in my career. And uh, went to Oxford and interviewed there and, and uh really enjoyed it ironically the the people that i that i interviewed with were all miami alums and and they were uh these are names from the past but i think the, the listeners and viewers will recognize era parsegian was had just retired at notre dame he was on the interview committee wow we Bank, who was uh t- had taken the colts to the super bowl was on the committee paul brown who uh, founded the Cleveland Browns and, of course, the Bengals, he was on the committee, and Schembechler. And that's who I've interviewed with. And my father, who was, as I mentioned, a high school coach at Ottawa, Illinois High School, was just couldn't believe I was going to interview with those with those people. Yeah, that's, and that's quite frankly, I couldn't. Well, I couldn't believe it either. I was I was supposed to go in there and impress him with an interview, and I was kind of, in a state where I was wanted to get autographs, yeah. you know, it was, it was, it was a great experience, but those, all those, all those guys and Woody, Woody Hayes was supposed to be there, but he was not feeling well and he couldn't make it, but they were all Miami alums, every one of them. And, uh, I, I just really enjoyed it, the experience. It was fun being there, uh, jumping ahead, for you, I, the reason I left there and went to Temple was Temple had just got into the Big East Conference, 
and the Big East was really rolling at the time with Miami and Syracuse and what have you. And it was a move from the Mid-American to the Big East. And I felt like at Temple, it was an opportunity to build that program up uh, and try to have some success there. And uh, ironically, as after I'd been there, uh, the Big East f- folded up as we knew it. Uh, it's back today as a basketball-only conference, but the football branched off into different directions. And then I had the opportunity to go to Memphis, and uh, that was in Conference USA. And uh, I was a uh, Elvis Presley groupie from the day I was born, so I couldn't I couldn't pass up Memphis. I had to up, <laughs> I had to go there, and uh, we went there with the intention of. Uh, of staying there. And then I always felt like I would move back to the Midwest, uh, being, being, uh, that I was, was raised in Ottawa. Uh, my wife's from Ohio. Um, uh, she was a diehard Buckeye and I went to school in Iowa. So I was a Hawkeye and we always kind of felt like we get back into the Midwest somehow. But when we went to, uh, when we went to Memphis, we went there as a, as a job, but it ended up, it was, it was a home. And, uh, as you know, I, w- I was there for 17 years and nobody's an athletic director, director anywhere for 17 years. That, <laughs> that just doesn't happen, but we, but we enjoyed it. And I went until I was 70 oh, wow. and, uh, that was, so I started with, with you guys at 38, 39, I guess I was, and went till I was 70. And, uh, if I had to do it over again, I, I, I would not change a thing. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've always had good presidents, uh, good, good at fellow administrators. Uh, you know how much Tom relies on you. And I was always fortunate enough to be able to have associates that were very, very supportive everywhere I went and the, and the, always getting the community involved, even in Philadelphia, uh, with temple, uh, we got, we got the, a lot of, a temple was a big operation and we had a lot of support in Memphis, of course, the same way. And, and Miami was the same way. And so I've, I, again, I looking back on it, I would, I would, uh, I probably went too long, uh, I was, I was, I'm jumping all over here on you. I don't mean to do that, but I was going to retire when I was six, 68 years old. And I met with some of the people at uh, my, at uh, Memphis and they, uh, they convinced me to stay a little bit longer. And so I stayed until I was 70. Uh, and then I thought it was, that was long enough. That was, that was time. And, uh, didn't, not to personalize this, but my wife was starting to have some health issues. And so we decided that it was time to move on, but it, it was a great, a great run, a lot of fun, met a lot of people. Uh, and again, I mean this sincerely, I've always had good, good administrators with me like you and uh, Tom would be the, well, maybe he wouldn't admit it, but you know, he thinks the, <laughs> thinks the world of you and how valuable you are and uh you can't do it alone as an athletic director and i you've got to have good presidents and good fellow administrators and that's i've been lucky in that in that vein 
and I apologize. You asked me a question, and nope, I took nope, two nope, hours to answer it. I I always told the staff, my thing with the staff was always this. I always told them, give me the time. Don't build a watch. Okay. And I just, I think I just built Big Ben for you. So I apologize. No, that's great. Uh, you talk about this as a, as a relationship business and you, you kind of touched on the handful of schools that, that you were at. Before we jumped on the call, we were talking about you still have a, a close relationship with John Calipari, who, of course, is the basketball coach at Kentucky now, but was at Memphis for many years. When, when you were there, I guess you, you, you talk about coaches and, and notoriety and names. And we, I can go through a list of, of coaches that, that you have coached with or, or had as players. Sean Payton is one of them who's now a coach who you have a relationship with. But I guess kind of explain that relationship you had with, with Coach Calipari. I mean, he, to me, I, he seems like sometimes coaches – can be bigger than the program them, themselves. And at Memphis, him coming from, I think, at the NBA at the time, I guess, what, right. what was that relationship like um, with you between him as a, you know, I guess, boss and, and subordinate's not the right word, but, I, you know. I, I no, guess I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Well, I, I met him when I was at Temple. He was at UMass when they had their great run and I was at Temple, we had John Cheney, who was a terrific coach at Temple and we'd had a lot of success and, but we could never beat UMass and we could never beat Calipari. And, uh, I, I got to know him through conference meetings and what have you. We were in the same conference in, uh, in a basketball, uh, division. And, uh, I always thought, you know, at some point, I wouldn't mind having him on the staff. We, I just, I didn't know him well, but in, in our meetings with ADs and the head basketball coaches, we, we sat together one day and just had a good visit. And he went on to the New York uh, Nets uh, from UMass. He got let go. And then he was with the 76ers. And when we had an opening at Memphis, uh, I felt like we needed to do something a little bit outside the box. And someone that uh, I just felt could come in. Memphis has had such an incredible background in basketball and had been the Final Fours and what have you that we needed to, to really get someone that was uh, willing to stand up. Pretty heavy media in Memphis. That was before the Grizzlies, the NBA t team, came to town. And it was the Memphis Tigers were really the only game in town. And so I called him and. Uh, he was ready to get out of the pros and, uh, we met, uh, on the QT as, as we do, the 76ers were playing in Dallas and I flew down to Dallas from Memphis. Uh, we put together a, a package of $550,000. Uh, we did it on a paper napkin, uh, at dinner in a restaurant at the hotel in Dallas. And to this day, John still has that napkin. And, uh, we had, uh, a budget, Rich, I had a budget of, uh, it was either 250 or $300,000 to hire a coach. Oh, wow. And, and I signed a paper napkin with him for $550,000. <laughs> and of course, on the way home, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to, come up with that 
We were very fortunate in Memphis that FedEx's headquarters are in Memphis, and they were very supportive. And uh, the founder of FedEx and uh, his CEO were very involved in our program, and they knew about Calipari and knew that he had taken UMass and what have you and thought that might work. And so they helped underwrite his contract until we could get financially where we could could uh, take care of him or ourselves. And uh, when he first came in, uh, it was rather controversial. Um, some people that thought we didn't need to have, they considered me a northerner and they weren't sure they needed a, a northern <laughs> northerner coming in and coaching basketball. And uh, first couple of years, we didn't have a lot of success, but he started to get some pretty good recruits. And of course, we went on to have unparalleled success and what have you. And then, then when he left us to go to Kentucky, the same people were mad that weren't sure about him, that mad that he left. But it was it was hard for a guy to pass up going to Kentucky. And he that's what he said to me. I told him, I said, look, we'll we'll try to. And at that time, I think we were paying him, I think maybe $3 million. And uh, Kentucky didn't offer a whole lot more. And I said, look, we'll, we'll do whatever we can. Uh, and people in town were willing to jump in there. But as he said, Kentucky is Kentucky. And uh, my background being football, he had, he had said to me, what would you have done if Notre Dame had called you back in the, when you were coaching football yeah. and I said, I, I probably would have gone. I said, I don't like that argument because it's a good one, <laughs> but he, uh, he then, he then moved on and uh, obviously he's had phenomenal success there, but we've stayed in touch. Uh, again, I don't want to personalize this too much, but my wife was, has been in the hospital and he called the other day and was going to fly down to see her. And, uh, he didn't, uh, he didn't come because I told him not to, because we, she, she wasn't to have any visitors, but, uh, he was, he would light a candle and he still does lights a candle for her every day. And, and prior to you and me talking this morning, I talked to him and, uh, he had just come from church and had lit, lit another candle for her. So we've, we've moved from, from, uh, the stage of, uh, AD and coach to more of being friends. Uh, it's a little different now, and uh, it's been a great relationship. But he was one of the – he's the the most high profile, of course, and uh, what he's done is phenomenal. And, again, he fell under that same category of uh, class, dignity, and style and really takes care of the, of his players and and uh, does it the right way. He's He is very outspoken. And uh, he pretty well speaks his piece about things, but that's okay. You know, he's he still does everything the right way, and and uh, it was a great run. Now, one of the questions I'll ask you here is: Memphis is in a unique situation, and you guys play play basketball and football like a lot of schools do, and you've had success in in both had had some success in both when you were the AD there, but unique for for them, I think, is the fact that those two major sports, neither the one of them play in a, a campus-owned facility. Basketball right. played at the Pyramid when you would have been there, and then I think if, from, if I'm looking at the, the timeline correctly, would have moved into 
the FedEx Forum, which is also the home for the, the NBA's Grizzlies teams. And then the Liberty Bowl, which is, you know, everybody knows about the Liberty Bowl, the bowl game, but they don't realize, I guess, right. that's actually a stadium that Memphis plays in year round as its home football facility. I guess as an AD, you, you don't have some control over those facilities. And that's got to, I guess, impact some of your revenue sources as well. Well, we have we have a unique situation. We when we were playing in the pyramid, and that was built before I got there. But the university actually owned part of the pyramid. Okay. So when we moved to the FedEx Forum, the the deal was that we would continue to have some control over it, and uh, we were able to get gate receipts and a lot of things that people don't get. Uh, some concessions. Uh, revenue sharing that when you go to a shared facility, you don't, you don't always get uh, one of the conditions was if we, and we didn't have to move, but we, it was, it's such a magnificent facility. We felt like we needed to, but we, we said, we'll, we'll move, but we want to have our own locker room. We want to have our own area. We want it. We don't want it to be, look like we're playing in the NBAs as a guest. We want it to look like it's our home. And the city fathers agreed to it. And the Liberty Bowl was pretty much the same. Uh, we The stadium was actually built for the Memphis Tigers way back when. Okay, I didn't and know that. the Liberty Bowl, yeah, it was the, the Liberty Bowl was named. Uh, and the bowl game, it's, you're right, it's, it's a big, big deal. But we're the only ones that play there. There is uh, the Southern Heritage Classic game, which is the second Saturday of September. And uh, and I agreed to uh, to let them always have the second Saturday uh, to play uh, the Southern Heritage Classic game there. But other than that, uh, everything there is controlled by us, and we we had uh, we did pay some minimal rent, but everything around the the stadium for tailgating and everything was all all given to us uh, by the city. So we we were very fortunate because a lot of times you can run into complications. When I was at, at temple, we had a meeting with the mayor at the beginning of every year. And he would always start off by saying, this is in what they called veteran stadium. And I'm going back on you, but he said he would sit there and he'd tell us now the Philadelphia Phillies have first pick the Philadelphia Eagles have second pick. And then RCU and the, temple you get the third choice and uh we we would not we did not have our own locker room at the time things have changed now but it, at the time uh we used the visiting baseball locker room as our locker room so that wasn't a good situation at all uh and it reflected on our program and you're right that's that's the only downside of a shared facility the upside of a shared facility is we always made sure the maintenance was always done by the city so so there's good and bad as you as you as you know yourself you know now when you look at you look back at a a long career um you you look at at the the games and and teams that you you've gone against as an ad and maybe it's a little bit different in an ad's chair as opposed to, to a coach or a player's chair but is there a a rivalry or a, a game you always looked forward to 
um, as the AD. And that can be it from any of the schools that, that you kind of worked at, that you kind of had that one personally circled that, you know, hey, I'm a little bit more excited for when we play sure. this game. At, well, at Eastern, there were two. One was Western Illinois, and the other one was Northern Iowa because uh, of my of me coming from there. And ironically, the athletic director at Northern Iowa at the time then was Bob Bowlesby, who is now the commissioner of the Big 12, and I stay in touch with Bob quite a bit. And But those were the two big ones uh, for me at the time. Uh, Miami of Ohio... Uh, Toledo was always a, a big, big rivalry. One we just always felt we had to, we really wanted to win. But, uh, actually, Toledo and Bowling Green. And uh, Urban Meyer was coaching at, at uh, Bowling Green, and Nick Saban was coaching at Toledo. And uh, those two didn't fare very well. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't fare well. At, at, at Temple, uh, in football, uh, we really had a big, uh, the rivalry was, was, uh, Boston. We just, we just felt like, I don't know why, but Boston college was the one we wanted to, wanted to beat in basketball. It was UMass, uh, at Memphis in football, it was Tennessee. And, uh, my first year there, uh, Peyton was a quarterback for Tennessee and they were ranked number two in the nation and they came to the Liberty Bowl and and I have to be honest with you there was a lot more orange in the Liberty Bowl than there was tiger blue I can imagine. but we beat them we beat them and uh, it was amazing it was it was my first year and I couldn't I just couldn't believe it uh, they were they were so good but we had good players too and uh, we had four or five players that went on to playing the pros but they were obviously a better team than we were and i think they kind of took us for granted and and that was a big win but uh it, within within the conference uh memphis and and uh, houston was always kind of a, a game that we wanted to we always kind of wanted to win and non-conference was always old miss because they were less than an hour from us and and beating old miss uh which we were fortunate enough. We, we did that. We beat them the year Eli was their quarterback. Oh, wow. And uh, so we had some, we were very fortunate there. Uh, but within the, within the conference, Houston was, uh, was a big rivalry force. And those were always the games, but none, none were as intense for me as Northern Iowa and Western Illinois. Those were two that I would get so nervous. Yeah. I would think I was still coaching and, uh, when you get out of coaching and get into administration, it never really, never really leaves you. And uh, I would, I would really get myself revved up for those two games. And I still do today. I still, when I watch the Western or whatever, and everything's gone in a different direction. And of course the, the, the days of playing all those people are no longer the, it's, it's different than it was then, but, it, but uh, I still check the scores and I still get revved up over the games. That is all good. Well, we appreciate your your time this morning. We were joined by R.C. Johnson, a 2020 EIU Athletics Hall of Fame inductee, and we hope that that you and your wife Melba, that you guys is uh, that she has a a speedy recovery. I know we talked before you, you, we got on here that she's got a little bit of work still ahead of her, but we send out our our best wishes to to her and to you, and 
hope that you guys stay safe during these very interesting times. Well, thank you. And I've, I've really enjoyed visiting with you. Uh, I've done some checking and, and uh, I can't find anything negative about you. So I've got to do more checking. <laughs> There's got to be something somewhere. But, I'm sure, I'm but sure I, there is. <laughs> but I've enjoyed it. And uh, thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you, RC. Wow, <laughs> wow,